Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. What's up, everyone? This is Josh Krieger from Edge of NFT here with a really awesome crew. I'm going to fanboy for a moment, get to see Daniel again. Epic to be here with you not and see you twice, twice in one year. This is pretty amazing. And learn about what you've been up to and sort of reveal a little bit of alpha for those listening at home about a really exciting project. So I have Daniel, I have Benjamin, I have Jonathan here with me. And let's start with you, Daniel. You've been a Web3 evangelist. You've been there. I saw you last year or this year. Talk to us a little bit about like what was that aha moment where you got pumped about Web3, blockchain. How did you get into the space, man? First off, great to see you again. How did I get into the space? Well, money. <laughs> I like money and I have a goal that I want to retire my mom ASAP. So... I'm with the Meme NFT. I'm the chief branding officer. You asked me how did I get into Meme NFT and why, right? Or just before Meme NFT, okay. which we're going to go into depth about. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure everyone wants to know more about it. Like, what got you pumped about the space? What was that moment where, like, oh, NFTs, this is interesting? Because it's new. Like, I looked at it when NFTs first came, that actually been since 2017, but when they started emerging, they came you know, back from the dead. I looked at it almost like when Bitcoin first came out. There's so many opportunities to be able to make some money and hopefully have some financial freedom. And my two buddies right here, Ben and Jonathan, we're all got into NFTs and we always try to help each other out. When there's like a call, we try to call each other. Hey, what do you think about this? We start doing the research. But yeah, that's kind of how I got in. Were you thinking about it from like an entertainment industry perspective and like some of the challenges with the old guard, if you will? I think a little bit of both. Cool, cool. Well, you got into it and then you met these guys and now you're the chief branding officer of Meme NFT. What got you excited to join this crew? And then we'll hear more about it from Jonathan. The main reason I liked now I love Meme NFT is because they're different. We call it the people's marketplace, right? Because we are very open to always take whatever the community wants to put into the marketplace. The reason why I ended up getting here is because before I used to promote projects here and there, right? And I would do my research. I would go read the white paper, go to their Twitter, go to their Discord if it was an NFT project. Try to do my due diligence with the developers, what projects they've been in and all that good stuff, right? But still with all that research that I did, I used to promote, but I was never in the rooms with them to see what they were talking about behind the scenes, besides what they were making the, the sausage. Exactly. They yeah. were, I was not baking, man. So Meme NFT is like, I am one of the executives. I see everything that's happening. I know what's happening. I know, well, like, for example, with the marketplace, we just did the alpha main it today. I knew that was going to happen. And the whole process, it was a beautiful process that we had to go through. It was a long process. But the fact that I was able to oversee everything is more valuable to me than, than just getting paid by promoting. It's know? the knowledge. It's mm-hmm. feeling part of something. Exactly. It's knowing what's under the hood. Exactly. And before, I didn't have a say-so in other projects. It was just like, oh, you're going to promote? We're going to give you this. 
That's hard as a creator, as an actor. I'm sure when you've been doing shows and everything, you got to provide input, right? Exactly. Those characters, those brothers didn't just come about on paper from the writers. Mm -hmm. Like, what was some of, like, the character development you did? Like, was there a certain sort of scene or part of the show, like, you had some meaningful input into? The one that comes out right out the top of my head is it was Explosion on Breaking Bad, episode 301, Nomás. That was actually my first day on set ever. It's actually the second day on set ever when we had to do the explosion with the truck. But my brother and I, we is known out there in the world that we being around the black, we were in prison, we changed our lives and everything. But before that, we were just young, dumb, and we made mistakes. When we went to prison, we came out, we started changing. But my brother, he started trying to get in my head about the scene because Brian Cranston came and told us, like, hey, you he gave us the description of what he wanted for us to do in the scene. It was one explosion, one truck. Please, can you guys please not flinch if we can? Even some people like they flinch. Everybody kind of flinches, right? So my brother, he wasn't alone to death and everything, but he was not super nice about it. He was like, "Hey, motherfucker, you!" He started just barking at me and started telling me like, "Channel, get me in the zone, right?" He started telling me, "Hey, look, man, this is like we do this shit every day, like walking in the fucking park." I'm not going to lie. I was a little kind of like bothered, but I was like, he was just trying to get it. He was just trying to do it out of love. You know, it's just my brother, you know, tough love. And he started just drilling me and and started telling me like, hey, look, remember the one time that happened when we got attacked, we got hit with machetes and all that. He's like, you remember that? Remember that? When you walk, just remember getting the zone. We do this all the time. And then when the explosion went off, we just kept going. And I took the drag out of that cigarette. Like if I was walking in the park and there was shit flying all over the place, there was boots on fire flying, like a tire flying. It was just, but the thing is, we didn't know that was going to happen. We just thought that it was going to be an explosion. Okay, cool. But no, that was, we see, started seeing shit flying. And I remember before the scene, my brother told me like, look, motherfucker. He's like, anything, do not turn around. Something hits you. You catch on fire. Just fucking keep going. If you're in danger, the fire officers, the, the paramedics, they're going to come and put the fire out. And maybe you, you start rolling on the ground. But if that happens. Right. That's awesome. And I know you guys got a military background on your team. And we have a co-founder that went to West Point And I think there's a lot of metaphors in what you just shared in terms of <laughs> Web3 and the durability it takes to build in the space. Endurance. These things don't just happen. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about the genesis of Mean and MT, Jonathan, which Daniel's joined the team. What is this all about? And why do we need another NFT marketplace? There's got to be a reason that like one year in with all these marketplaces, you decided to do this. And I want to understand like what's behind Meme NFT. Yeah, it's a great question. And honestly, it's the most important question. Like that's the question that started this whole thing. Why another marketplace, right? So we dubbed ourselves, as Daniel said, the people's marketplace by traders for traders. So what that means is we take in the entire community's input on what we're doing on this platform. And we make sure that we're adding things of value that people as traders actually want in a marketplace. Whether it be analytics, we're building a trading platform where you can trade an NFT one with somebody else on the platform. So you don't have to rely on the trust of them that they're going to send it after you send it. That's just a couple examples, but... So um, how's that different than like on OpenSea, I can like buy someone's NFT. What's the mechanic? So this is like, okay, me and you want to trade an NFT with each other. That OpenSea doesn't do that. This is like peer-to-peer, we're just trading. Like, which happens oh, within the like, like at the same time, this right away. Like, rugged all the time. I like your ape, you like my ape. Yeah, let's Done. trade them. And 
this is where people get rugged all the time. So we're actually developing a portion of our platform where you can put one person puts up their NFT, one person puts together, goes in a mediary wallet, double checks them, sends them out to the person, right? That's one innovation that we're working on right now. But we're mainly focused on the community. When I go to these events, like we typically don't have booths. We have a booth at this event, but typically I don't really believe in doing the booths. I rather walk around with a backpack, a microphone and a speaker and talk to people and say, hey, what marketplace do you use now? And almost nine times out of 10, I hear the words broken C or maybe they're just getting into looks rare or something like that. Or they're talking about open C in a negative aspect. And to me, with how close and intimate we are in this space and how like lovey-dovey Web3 is, how are we settling for anything less? Like, why aren't we using a platform that we actually want to use? And that's where Meme NFT comes into play. And we've got plans for gamification, talking about account levels, badges on your account, 3D voxel with clothes you'll be able to add on to it. Like, we're doing a lot of things at Meme NFT, but the first thing that we're doing first is we're proving ourselves to the community. I am personally in Twitter spaces like, 10 hours a day talking about meme NFT and other and getting other projects to onboard with our platform. Cause I believe in that grassroots marketing that, Hey, I'm the CEO. Let me show you what we're about. Right. And so, then lead them to it. And then they can make their own determination. Customer discovery, mm-hmm. listening to your customer evolving. Those are so important in any business, especially web three. Do you have like a formal process for customer input? Is it more informal right now? Is there going to be a governance structure around different decisions with the platform? So right now it's pretty informal, but we're building like a, a system, like a ticketing system or whatnot for bringing in feedback and onboarding. Like right now we use mainly use Telegram because our token on our platform is a uh, Binance Smart Chain. And by the way, we're seven chains. We launched with seven chains. Oh yeah, I noticed that. That's yeah. a lot of chains. So, yeah, so Ethan, let's uh, go BSC, through them. Polygon, Phantom, KuCoin. KuCoin has its own chain? Yeah, they do. It's not right. very well, but we have it. Okay. We're going to be adding Phantom as soon as it comes. I mean, uh, Pulse. Pulse as soon as it comes out. Cool. We um, have the CEO of Phantom on the show. Really cool, Mike. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have Phantom's one of our launched platforms on uh, there. But That's an emerging technology right there. That's yeah. cool. And it's a 2% fee across everything. So we wanted to save our investors money because I feel like one of the misses with OpenSea was they were making so much money and they were doing nothing to their platform, which is a disservice to the people using it. Like at least if you're going to make billions and billions of dollars, like we're only just now seeing them put money into their platform. It should have been happening from the beginning. So we built a custom Wyvern protocol contract. Everything's built from scratch. 721A minting contract. So if you're a new artist coming up, you're going to get that gassy fishing contract loading your collection on our platform. We're the first ones to integrate it into a marketplace. Well, we also have Benjamin here, right? And you're, I guess, how would you describe yourself in relation to Meme NFT and and what drew you to the project? Yeah, what drew me to the project is I've been in crypto for 10 years. And two years ago during the pandemic, I really saw NFTs as something that you can trade and flip just like cryptos. But then there's the blockchain technology that proof of ownership is just so huge. So I really wanted to find a utility within the NFT that was like crypto that I can make money that felt secure. And I was like, well, a marketplace that had more of a trading experience that had more of a trading experience. And I was like, well, let me find a marketplace that's coming up that I can input and give them information and build with and grow a community so we can make this huge. And the people's marketplace comes along and it's a token with just scalability, because right now, open seas, if they wanted to upgrade their contract, they got to delist everything, which is going to cost so much gas. Where Meme NFT, they built it on the proxy so they can just build it up, scale it up as they're going. So as more uh, blockchains are coming, we can just add them on no problem. 
So it's just open seas on steroids to me. And to be an early investor with a token on it and to be able to have a say to say, this is what traders want. Can we do this? Can we make it happen? And be able to see these guys, their faces, their docs. Like I don't, I'm not dealing with avatars. I'm dealing with real people, real company, LLC, international and here in America. Like they're doing it the right way and they're taking their time to make sure everything's secure. Just like everything in the military needs to be very secure. So does crypto and DeFi. It was a no brainer for me to ape in. Right on. Really cool. I know you guys have a lot going on and and you got to get back on stage soon, but I'd love to like know a little bit about what's coming up on the roadmap and maybe how folks can get involved, how they can sort of participate in the community, what opportunities are there and available for folks that want to collaborate with you guys. A lot of the stuff I was just saying is in our V2 version of the platform. So V1's launched right now, and that's just basic like OpenSea, buy, sell, trade. And a lot of the features we just talked about are in the V2. So that's part of the roadmap. When's that coming? That's looking like the next three to six months for the V2 portion. There's still a lot of development that needs to be done on that side. It takes time to make the sausage. It does. And, you know, I didn't realize it before I came in here. Like OpenSea, they took four years to build that platform. Oh, yeah. That's a long time. And I mean, yeah. we've grown a lot since that platform was created. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing, it's newer in the space and we can only get better, right? Cool, cool. And then what collaborations do you have coming up and how can folks get involved if they want to collaborate? So we have a Launchpad service. Like we can literally from A to Z launch your project for you. And I just talked about this on a panel, but if you do a Launchpad service with us, we require a minimum, minimum six months promotional period, meaning... If you launch with us, you have to promote your project for at least six months or there could be legal consequences because we're not trying to promote rug pulls. But a awesome celebrity partnership we have coming out later this year is a collection from Jamie Kennedy, who is a star of Malibu's Most Wanted and he was in Scream. We got him locked in under contract. We have our artists doing his artwork and everything. So that's going to be fun. That's coming later this year. Cool. I'm sure, Daniel, with all the folks that you know, you're working on some fun stuff. Like I was saying, I was trying to bridge the gap and try to bring them into the space and be able to help them. I educate them, teach them the ways, just like the way I learned. Well, I learned the hard way. I got rugged so many times, but... I just admitted on stage I got rugged. I lost a clone. If you haven't got rugged, you are not even for the crypto. I mean, we don't want the new people to come in and get a bad taste in their mouth and be discouraged. Like, oh, it's freaking... Crypto NFT sucks. I got rugged. I lost all my money. So I'd rather just leave it in the bank and collect 70 cents per year or something. So we're going to try to help people when they come on board and educate them, teach them the ways that it's not just about cash money mm-hmm. and just grab it and just go. It's like, like he said, like, you know, we got to have them like six months and be able to put in the work that they need to, not just collect and bounce. Well, I always tell people, like, it's so important that he's saying this. Like, I'm a huge advocate for training people the proper way, at least the basic fundamentals when you bring them in. Because how many people you know, they bring a friend in and that friend's just relying on them. Like, they don't even know when to sell. They don't know what they should be buying. They're not paying attention. They're just relying on you. And that's like, we got to get away from that. If you bring someone in, it's like, okay, you're in this. So I'm going to teach you, like, this is a wallet. This is what you look for. Don't connect it to random sites. Like you have an obligation to that individual to teach them the basics to prevent them from fraud. And then you let them fly on their own. There you go. So the hat say it all, right? MemeNFT.com. What's the Twitter handle? At official. And same Telegram? Telegram is the same. Cool. Guys, such a pleasure. Congrats on getting this far. It's a journey. Good luck with everything. Thanks for joining us for a little while. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. 
Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service soup to nuts and whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes you Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. What's up, everyone? This is Josh Krieger here with Jeff Kelly, Edge of NFT co-host. Ethan kicking back after a long run in Davos. Excited to be here day one in Austin, 105 degrees with Tatiana De Maria, who just got off stage and is hanging out with us for a little while. She's uh, coming to LA, so we'll get to hang out some more. But just super excited to delve into all the cool stuff you've been doing in Web3 and music and what you're up to now in your new role. And maybe we could just start with like a little introduction of yourself and how you got into this like wild world of Web3. And it's a pretty big deal because you're an early pioneer and you've also been in the music space since like 18. Is that right? I'm 15. Yeah, 15. So, <laughs> baby. so talk to us about your journey. So I started writing music very young and I wrote my first album when I was about 15, 16. And I got very lucky with that in England. I was independent, but we had a couple of charting singles. And so for me, it was just the passion of writing music and touring it. And it's just something I've always felt compelled to do. I love music and I have synesthesia in a few forms, which I figured out later in life was why I was always pulled back to it. And so with that said, I'm a touring musician. That's been my main career my whole life. I've been very lucky to be able to own my music, own my masters and build independent businesses. I was lucky to be approached by some labels at different points in my career, but I found that what was right for me has been my path so far. And so over the years, built some businesses around music. And, and I want to stop right there because that's yeah. a big deal. Owning your master's at such a young age and realizing that is the path that gives you the greatest empowerment. Like talk to us a little bit more about how that came to be because that is very unusual. When I was a kid, my mom was afraid of driving on motorways. So getting to a band rehearsal was really hard. And I remember feeling like I was so dependent on other people to make music. Like I had to go to rehearsals with my bass player and my drummer or we couldn't be a band. 
So I decided to just write music. And I was like, so long as I'm writing the songs, I can just be free to do what I want. So that meant already I'm writing all the music. I own all the songwriting and all the publishing. And I got very lucky that that got picked up and that I had a wonderful manager and people liked the songs. And then we started doing production. And essentially, very young, I signed the publishing deal. And I found that there was so much red tape. If I wanted to, there were people coming to me with opportunities I was excited about, but the publishers were like, no, no, no. It kind of, there was a lot of freedom taken away. And so with that said, I kind of just fell into it. I managed to get out of that publishing deal because I wasn't happy. I owned all my stuff. And I thought, I just don't want to go back to that dynamic where people are stopping me from actually putting my music out there. In addition, I was very lucky I had a manager very young and he retired from management, personal reasons and all is good now, touch wood. But I took on the management when I was about 17, 18. And so I accidentally was just running all the business and running everything we were doing. And it was a tremendous amount of work. But at the same time, I valued the freedom so much. I knew, great, I can do this tour if I want and that tour if I want. And and there was no label or publisher to put any red tape around it. And I love that freedom. And so when labels came to us, I was very lucky to be in a position where we had had two charting singles in the UK. We were getting wonderful tour opportunities. And when we were on tour, we were selling enough merch to be making a sustainable income. And so at that point, I'm like, huh, if I sign to a label now, what's going to happen is right now I own everything. So if I have my album, I go and I sell it for $10. That $10 goes back to me, my band members and building the business. If I sign with a label... They'll give me $50,000 up front or 100K or whatever to own the album forever. And if I want a tour, I then have to buy it back off them for $5 a piece and then sell it. And those $10 now get split. And I was like, for 50K, 100K, 200K, it doesn't seem worth it to give up the rights to the album because on tour, I was making 100K in two months alone selling merch. Doing the maths, it kind of accidentally ended up in a situation where I was like, it just keeps making sense. And to conclude that thought, record deals, they're really great in some ways at certain stages for musicians to give kind of exposure. But for the majority of the time, they're not ideal. And so I was like, I don't want to have be in a situation where a label's stopping me from releasing my music or that I'm completely beholden to someone else. Yeah, let me ask, like, what was their pitch? (laughs) What's their pitch to you, the labels, when you already own the rights to everything? They're trying to do what? What are they selling? Well, there's an interesting thing. I mean, the point I was trying to get to is VC. So labels are much like VC. They will sign 10 artists and they sign them all on varying basis and stats. And essentially the deals are not exciting deals for the artist because they need to have one artist may pop off and those proceeds will cover the nine that didn't pop off, Mm -hmm. which means the deal has to be so all encompassing and they have to take so much from that one artist that might pop off to cover everything else. But to the artist, that one artist that's like, yo, you're taking a lot. They're like, yes, we're investing a lot. We're taking a lot. And we would like a certain amount of control. There isn't really, unless you're big or established and have a lot of leverage, there isn't really such thing as a good label deal in mm. a way, in the sense that it doesn't mean that the deal is going to be bad and you won't have tremendous success. But if you just look at it on paper, yes, it is a setup where the label will take a lot and have a lot of control. And you just have to be ready for that. We'll have a certain exposure already where you can have a bit of leverage to maneuver your career as well. So a lot of people in the music space think that Web3 is revolutionary and totally changed the relationship between artists and their fans. 
What was your first exposure to blockchain and Web3? And what was your reaction when you saw these potential ingredients with that background that we just heard? In 2012, I was between touring dates and I was in England and I tried to buy a Bitcoin and it was go to the red telephone box under the train station and send your money to Japan and it all you get your keys six weeks later or whatever it was. And wow. it was just like, fuck me, it's complicated. But a few years later, my brother got into blockchain. And so it's been a hum and sort of just learning about blockchain and evolving. We talked about that before the interview. So as I had been building these businesses in music, I was brought into Nachi.io. It's a tech company, data for good, data and tech company. They were building out awesome tech in culture and entertainment and tech that is fantastic for artists to help market, to help automate the entrepreneurial side of things. So I went and started working at Nachi during the pandemic and right before the pandemic, which was great because we weren't touring. So I was doing soundtracks for movies and working on tech. Yeah, this is before like NFTs lit up. It's been interesting actually being there to watch that. So we've been building tech to help that space. And then as I was in Web3 and just started talking about it and posting about it more, NFTs started to kind of creep up. January 2021, I was like, who wants these NFTs? And no one on my Instagram responded. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, wow, I think it's smaller than I thought. And in March 2021, I was like, that's it. They've blown up. Everyone knows NFT. We're here now. That's when we started our podcast, March 2021. Like, fuck, actually still no. So (laughs) it's been an interesting process, but it was kind of a natural extension from being an independent musician, focusing on different ways to monetize because currently streaming pays very little. To build your fan base, you are now kind of spending money on Facebook ads, which again, is money out of your pocket. To tour is expensive. To have your van, your gas, your people, it's expensive. And to create merch and sell it, it's actually musicians have become entrepreneurs in a business that doesn't pay very well. So now all your time as a musician is spent building your business, managing people, creating an inordinate amount of content to get millions of fans so that you can make millions of plays, which will then pay very little, which means you need so many plays just to make a livable wage. But musicians are spending a lot of time running a business and they've lost the time to create and they've lost the time to be in that mindset. And that's a pain point a lot of musicians face that I think a lot of people who aren't musicians don't fully acknowledge. You'll go in spaces and musicians are like, oh my God, that's all I do is try and find ways to post online to grow my fan base. Otherwise it's Twitter ads. So there's a rub. And that Rob and my natural evolution is what led me to building in music and Web3. Right. And so there's a big educational piece of this for Mm -hmm. other artists, right? How do you engage with artists? How do you bring them into the fold? I started a crypto TikTok at TDM Crypto. It's my initials, Crypto. And it was in earlier 2021. And I was just trying to answer questions so that every dinner party didn't become like a blockchain thesis. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it kind of ended up blowing up a little bit. And I found that When I was posting on my Instagram and no one was responding, I was like, oh shit, I think I'd like to start talking about it and bring Mm -hmm. people in. And so for the last two years, I've been consulting for artists, companies, and musicians over moving into Web3. A lot of questions artists have are around, number one, what do I NFT? What the fuck do I start NFTing? Is it my song? Is it a ticket? Like, I don't even know. Album cover. Yeah. Yeah. And there is actually, every artist has a different way of engaging their communities. And some NFTs are more right for some artists than others. So consulting in that department, I've been doing for about a year and a half now, it's two years. And it's very important, I think, to find that piece for you. The second thing is, how many are you creating? What's the price point? Where are you NFTing it? The kind of crypto side. And the third thing is, how do you sell it to a crypto native community? 
And so we've actually been building a music platform over the last year that helps solve a lot of those problems. So number one, I've got the TikTok platform where I'm open and I'm posting things. And if people want to ask questions, I'm always there. Number two, consulting and helping artists on a one-to-one basis. But number three, building this huge platform called superfanatics.com. So superfanatics uh, with an X.com. And essentially what we've done is we've built an all-encompassing platform that makes it a lot easier for the artists to figure out what they want to NFT, how to connect with their community We focus on taking care of the entire Web3 ecosystem, not just the asset. Mm -hmm. So the artist in Web3. And we also help onboard people and we've made it very easy for the consumer and you don't have to be crypto native. It's really just about finding, if you think about it, your thousand true fans. Right now, if your fans, you could have a brand new fan or a diehard fan listen to you on Spotify. They both generate the same royalties, those listens. But... When you have these thousand true fans who want to connect with you on a deeper level and you want to connect with them, you then realize you don't need six billion fans to have six billion plays on Spotify to then make enough money to live. Reduce it. Focus on these people who love what you're doing and create interesting access for them, create interesting pieces of art, create interesting events, build your community and focus on the people who really love you. And at that point, you can sell directly to people and create NFTs. And what you're getting is it's back to the fan club model. It's up to you to give value, but you're giving value anyway by creating content all day. You're building your brand anyway by creating content and sending all your fans to Spotify or TikTok where you don't monetize. Mm -hmm. So fans who can bet on their beliefs, get in early, discover musicians and say, I want to buy that NFT. You could sell 50 NFTs at 0.05 ETH and make more than you would getting a million plays on Spotify. And to get a million plays on Spotify, if you're a growing artist, you have to do so much content with Facebook ads to just get enough people to get you there. It could take you two years and a lot of money if your stuff isn't just popping off and going viral. Or you have to sort of collaborate with other creators and other influencers. And again, it's diluting the value that you get at the end of the day. So You've been in the trenches as an artist and a consultant, and you think you're building out this platform. There's a lot of music NFT platforms growing, and and you get this ecosystem graphic every once in a while, and it's bigger (laughs) and bigger every day. What are the distinguishing characteristics of your platform that you guys are building, and why do you think those attributes are so important? Some of them I can't talk about publicly just yet, as it's rolling out soon. I'm, I'm very excited about them. But I think the other aspect is that as a musician, There's a lot of platforms, like even in Web2, using Patreon, for example, is focused, a lot of platforms build with the platform in mind. So like we've created a platform where you as the artist can come to our platform and we've given you the platform. You can monetize and make videos, etc. But it's another platform for an artist to sign up to. It's another whole endeavor. And then you have to bring all your fans to it. And then it's a whole thing. And so... When I look at these music platforms, I think there's a lot of great Web3 platforms out there and musicians are already benefiting and changing their lives. And that's fucking awesome. As a musician, I haven't yet found a platform that I feel does the things I want them to do as a musician. It's not as easy for me as a musician. It doesn't take care of some of the things I want as a musician. And I still feel that kind of barrier to entry where it's on me to kind of still, as a musician, do this tremendous amount. There's still a tremendous amount of work no matter what you do, but we've found ways to help. We've also found ways to make it easier for musicians. Just the way you use it is music native. It's for musicians. As in, in terms of 
the things that like annoy musicians or don't annoy musicians. Now that doesn't mean there are a lot of platforms that also do that. That's not saying that the platforms are tremendously difficult. There are plenty of great platforms that make it easy for musicians. Mm -hmm. It's just that we've built with a slightly different perspective in mind and we do something slightly different. So building, before, building from a place of feeling that need, feeling that problem, experiencing it firsthand, at least in our experience, tends to be a great place to build from, right? Because it's so, this yeah. pain point, right? And being able to solve that as the person that feels it intimately yields good results in our experience. And great place to start. Also, Jeff, I mean, they got some West Point grads, and we all know what those West <laughs> yeah. Point grads are capable you gotta of, You got to watch right? out for them. Yeah, yeah. That's they, true. Our know. founder is a West Point grad. She is kick ass. Super exciting. I love that you went to West Point and I have to connect you to. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. When these labels are pitching you, trying to get you to come over to the dark side, if you will, what's their pitch? How are they convincing people or trying to convince people to come to their side? You know, I think that historically labels and managers took the business weight and the financial weight off artists. So artists could focus on the creative, which is a different mind space. Everybody knows that when you're doing something creative, you're in the zone, you're in flow. If you constantly have to be in a business mindset, you don't have the time or even get in the space to kind of create your art and really be immersed in it. In history, labels would be able to fund artists' careers and managers would help manage the business. And that created the space for the artist to kind of just be the artist. And that's historically what's happened. And so when you have a label come in with a big amount of money, they also have a lot of leverage within the music industry. So they can say, you know, we'll take your song and they'll call radio stations and be able to like, hook up different things and be able to get your stuff played on radio and they can really help you explode and go to the next level. The problem is over time when artists make less and less money on the music and their streaming royalties pay less and less, for example, if you get a million plays on Spotify and you make $3,600, think about the fact that then you split that two ways with someone else who wrote the song and then you split the master two or three ways and the label owns it. Mm -hmm. And so the label sitting there going, how many millions of plays do our artists have to get before it's a viable deal for us? And managers make 20% of what the artists make. So over time, what's happened is that labels have stopped taking artists from the ground up because it's very expensive and there isn't as much income for them to sustain that and build that. And managers have also said, I don't want to work with an artist that's so small that my 20% will be non-existent because artists aren't getting paid. I'm getting 20% of a very small amount. Is it worth my time and energy? Yeah. So what that's left is the artist in the position to have to build their entire business and be the entrepreneur, be the CEO, be the social media manager, be the social media creator, be the people manager, be the tour booker. And then you get an agent, but the agent's like, you're not selling enough tickets. You could have a really substantial community and still struggle. So at this point, artists kind of have to get so big and on their own before people will come in and say, it's worth our involvement and our time because now the money's worth it. So there is an element to a label or a manager taking that business pressure off you, taking that financial pressure off you and saying, we are going to fund your tour. Isn't it great if we can throw all this money at you and you can now tour and just go back to being creative? Now, as much as that's a lovely offer, what's also happened is, as I was saying, the income is so low that actually they end up having to take a lot of control over what you do. They can tell you we need you to have a TikTok viral moment. We're not putting your record out. Well, you don't have enough fans. So you create your record and then you're sitting there going, the label won't release it. There's pros and cons, but I think the best position to be in for an artist, labels will still exist and Spotify still exists. NFTs don't change that. But this entire group of 300,000 independent artists who have communities are on Spotify and are unsigned. Instead of having to 
change their entire lives to just be fully entrepreneurial and post all this content all day. They have 50,000, 100,000 followers and they have 500 super dedicated fans. They can build an entire life and sustainable income with 500 fans, with 1,000 fans. It's the 1,000 true fans model. 1,000 fans spend $100 on you over the course of a year. They buy a hoodie, a t-shirt, a concert ticket. You can make $100,000. Now, you have to invest a lot of that because music is expensive. Touring is expensive. Merch production is expensive. But essentially, the upside in conclusion, the upside to a label or a manager coming in is that it gives, it can give an artist what they really want, which is the time and energy to create. And most artists are not entrepreneurial minded and don't want to be. What you just conveyed is so important. I don't know that I've heard anybody break it down in such a distinct, concise way for artists or anybody that maybe isn't an entrepreneur that hasn't gone through the ups and downs and bootstrapped a company to success, right? These are really important points. So appreciate you sharing. Thank you. And yes, I think the thing that gets missed with musicians is that think about any full-time entrepreneur, it's a lot of work. And think about a full-time entrepreneur, you also have people potentially building the product. When you're a musician, you are the product, you build the product, you market the product, and you're the entrepreneur. It just is a lot. And I think People who are musicians, I know that when I'm saying this, people empathize and understand. I know that when you're not in music, it can be hard to see sometimes. It's like, well, whatever. Social media is free. You just keep posting. It's great and grow that way. It's a different mindset. It's very time consuming. And a lot of musicians are trying and algorithms are squashing it. And they're like, I can't grow my following. I'm struggling. So I think the best situation to sign to a label is when you do have a fan base, when you do have a following, when you're able to have a deal with a label where you're able to have enough leverage to negotiate some creative freedom into it and have your own terms as well. But again, that's why I often recommend to smaller artists, like if you can have someone really passionate at a label say, I want to sign you and I'm going to do amazing. You sign to the label and two months later, they lose their job. And you're now in a system with a very tight contract and you're stuck in that label system. So it can be a wonderful thing and it can be a very detrimental thing. You just have to be Yeah, a lot of cool points here. And we oftentimes have artists of all types come to us and want to learn. And we can now point them towards this content as sort of a crash course and sort of the differences between Web 2 and Web 3 as a musician. So thank you so much. And looking forward to just keeping tabs on all the cool stuff you're doing in the secret platform and what sort of features it has. How can folks track what you're up to and sort of stay in touch on the platform side? Anything at Tatiana De Maria, just my name, so Twitter and Instagram, Spotify, etc. for music or etc. Also TikTok, so TDM Crypto is where I focused a lot more of my crypto content. So Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok are the best places to hit me up for anything Web3 related. And then our platform is, like I said, called superfanatics.com. So feel free to head over there, put your email in. There are a few features I'm excited about, but essentially it's a It's a music NFT platform that helps artists and their followings kind of enter the space with a bit more ease and hopefully, you know, I mean, eliminate some resistance points, but I'm excited to share more about that. And it's been such a pleasure chatting to you both, pulling all this out of my ass. So musicians (laughs) out there, (laughs) do your own research. Everything in life, again, really depends on the individual. And I think whether you're building a business, whether you're looking for a label deal, whether you're doing NFTs, it really is about looking at your own business, your own setup and going, what will work for me and my community? Amazing. Tatiana, we really appreciate it. We'd love to have you back on the show when you have some more information to share with us on Super Fanatics and Nachi and all the great things you're doing. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Appreciate you guys. All right.
Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.